Live from Atlantic Radio Network in Coral Gables, Florida. Who are those guys? This is the Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. Yes, she does, and she aches just like a woman. But she breaks just like a little, little girl. Hi, this is Bob, and I'm here in Miami. Welcoming you to the Rich Rothman Show. Hi, this is Rich Rothman, doing a bad impersonation of uh, Bob Dylan. It is uh, 5.05 in the afternoon on Friday afternoon. Uh, for those of you who are wondering what's going on, we're on 1360 WAKAT, and we're streaming at 1360 WAKAT, the uh, 305-447-3201 is our number. Had a couple of calls today from some folks. Regina called about Title IX, and we had our good buddy from uh, the Moose call up and um, let us know they're still drinking at the Moose. What can I tell you? Uh, on the line right now, we have our good friend Alex. Is Alex there? Yeah, I'm here, mate. Hello, Alex. Good day, good day. How you doing there? And how are you today? Oh, can't complain, can't complain. A great day to be here. That's, you know, with, 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 a, with an Aussie, it's always a great day. I oh, have to tell you that. It's, everything there. It's just a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be alive. Well, listen, we heard that Freddie's on the road right now, so he's not with us today. He's in New York today. Freddie so, freezing his kilt off. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Freddie, he's getting those icicles on the kilt. <laughs> Something we talked about just two weeks ago, how soon they remember. Hey, listen, um, tell us a little bit. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today is that search for the perfect cut, which is so important and so hard to get, isn't it? Yeah, it is for a lot of people, mostly because of lack of communication or the right communication. You know, lack of that. But, I mean, also you got to know what you're doing when you when you find the right person. And you must know because Alex is one of the most well-known hairstylists in South Florida. He has a uh, his shop up in uh, Fort Lauderdale, um, just off of uh, Sunrise Boulevard near the uh, the Gateway right. Theater. Just down the block, a little bit south, half a block from the Gateway Theater. But Alex, tell us a little bit. How it's really hard to get that perfect cut, and people are always in search of it, and sometimes they never find it. Well, a lot of it's a couple of things. Number one, the, from the hairdresser's aspect, like from my aspect, like I was trained to be a precision haircutter, like back in the Sassoon things and all of that. Because a, a good haircut should fall in well. It shouldn't be just one of those things where it looks great when you leave the shop, and then the next time when you wash it, it's like. What happened? You know, it should sort of when you wash it yourself, the shape should still be there. The cut grows in well, it performs well, it projects your image. But that's really, you know what? The, 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 it always looks. I, I know. I'm an old man now. I'm an old man. Not that old. I'm an old man, and I've been around for years. But on, on the other hand, when I got my hair cut. It always looks good for that hour. You know, it looks great when someone's got. It. Of course, not with you, Alex, because you're Alex. But the reality of it is it looks great, and then you go home, and, of course, you're going to take a shower that night and take another shower in the morning and so forth, and, and then it just doesn't look the same. And that's not a good cut then, is it? Not if it doesn't look good. I mean, I've seen your hair even when you've got the top down, you know, in your car. You know, not your top down, but uh, <laughs> your hair still looks no, great. No, for those who are wondering, I still have my hair. I'm an old guy, and I still have my hair. I will say it's not as thick as it was years ago, but let's go back to Alex. That's a big, a big problem for a lot of people because they get that great cut. They spend all that money. They find someone that can cut the hair, but then they go home, and guess what? 24 hours later, it don't look like that. You know what I mean? You got a problem. The last 10 years, a lot of times what they've been mostly training people to do is just to do a lot of product stuff. Use the waxes like, you know, like basically... 
um, instead of cutting the hair precisely and everything to the shape, it's mostly a matter of just hacking at it quite often, using thinning shears and texturizing blades and all sorts of things to disguise a bad haircut, and then put lots of gels and product on it, and it's like, da-da, doesn't it look great? And you go home, and then you realize afterwards that it's been whacked. And it's the same as even now, like with the economy the way it is. You know, some clients that have, that have strayed, it does happen occasionally, and um, then they come back, they say, like, I'd rather get a good haircut with you because I can go an extra two or three weeks if I have to. The haircut still grows in nicely. If I go somewhere else, I'll pay half the price. But in two weeks, it looks a disaster. I'm never happy with it, and it needs to be cut again. You know what it comes down to? Let me tell you what it comes down to. I'm going to tell you because I know you want to know. What it comes down to is this. You get what you pay for. You want to go for garbage, <laughs> you want to go for spit, then you're not going to get nothing, all right? But that's the truth. You can probably get a cheaper haircut anywhere. My God, you can walk in a lot of places for 10 bucks. you got a haircut. You know, I mean, my buddy Vinny used to do that all the time when we were out in Kansas, Bruce. Vinny would get a haircut, 10 bucks, he'd come out, he's overjoyed. But you know what? It looks like a 10 buck haircut. Yeah. But in your case, Alex, and, 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 and you do, oh my God, let me tell you something. First of all, Alex is a precision haircutting master hair colorist. That means he is certified exceptional. A lot of other people don't have that. You know what? You've got to pay for that. He's been trained, he's been all over the world, in Europe and Australia, and, and he's here. So here's a man with global ability bringing that to you. And you don't get that for 10 bucks. And you know what? It doesn't look like that. It looks global. It looks professional. And it stays. So tell us a little bit. How does, how does someone find that perfect cut? And how do they know they have the right perfect cut? Well, the other part is the consultation. It's kind of like, ah, so that's like I've got to know the, like my part of it. You know, that's that's my end of it. But the other part is connecting. You know, there's, there's got to be that joining point, that connection of like what is it that uh, that goes with your lifestyle, what goes with your ability. I mean, if you've got frizzy, curly hair, and I give you a haircut for straight hair, you know that in ten minutes you're gonna you'll spend an hour blowing it dry, go outside in the humidity, and it's all frizzy again. It was a bad haircut for your type of you know like for your lifestyle, for the amount of time you have, the ability you have to do it. So all of these things have to connect together so it, it looks good afterwards. But uh, the trust is the most important part, too. So when you find somebody who you can communicate to and you realize that this person's interest is you and you have this trusting thing there, too, so it's not like, well, I'm going to cut off one inch and you go out with five inches shorter. You know, but but is it is also, let me ask you a question, Alex. Isn't it also the chemicals that you use? I mean, I, there are some shampoos you walk away and your hair is, you know, facing north, south, east, and west. It's going all <laughs> over the place. You go, oh, my God, I must have stuck my finger in the socket because my hair is all over the place. But Isn't it important to get the right, the right chemicals for the right hair? Well, as far as a lot of things, like as far as, um, I mean, I'm always going to different classes. I mean, I just came back from New York, did another advanced class there, and more stuff with uh, the Japanese relaxers, for the, which is a lot of different chemicals that they keep um, growing stuff. But as far as with uh, shampoos and conditioners and all of that type of thing, you find that the pH balance is really important. You know, like if it's not the, like some, some shampoos are like dishwashing things, you know, which is going to obviously just fry your hair and open it up more. This, like one thing, for instance, um, there's a baby shampoo out there that people think, oh, it must be gentle. It's a baby shampoo. Well, it's actually quite harsh on the hair um, because what it is, it's, it's the pH of it is 7, which is, the, which is what your eyes are, so your eyes don't cry for, like for a baby. But it actually, the hair pH is really about 4.5 to 5.5, which means it's slightly acidic. So every time you go higher on the pH scale, you open up those, those cuticle scales, which is what you use to, to do chemical procedures with. And so that's some bad. Some of the shampoos are like too, too, um, too harsh. 
and that's why sometimes it looks like your hair is all over the place. Exactly. And you can't do any. The more you blow dry it, the worse it gets. The worse it gets because you're just opening it up. You're just drying it out. It's kind of like taking off half your roof tiles. Well, it's, that's no, it's scary because that's happened to me. I, I have done the wrong shampoo, and I realize I grabbed the wrong shampoo, blow dry my hair. I'm getting into a you know a suit to go to an event. Sort of like the, you know, when we used to do the business leader of the year, Bruce, or something like that, or a speech out in Houston. And, um, and I look like Toto the Clown, which is very easy for me to look like, Wanda. <laughs> I can do Toto the Clown. You know, it's not good because I don't have Alex there to make sure I don't screw up. But, well, listen, the Alex. The thing is that um, it's like with my friend um, Freddie. Uh, he puts a lot of antioxidants in different products and in shampoos as well, which also helps to, to counterbalance a lot of the oxidations and everything. Alex, let me ask you a question. If people want to get it now, I know you're you're about to take off for a big trip for a while, right? You're leaving yeah, town. Australia. Yeah, but if someone wants to get a hold of you and and uh, and talk to you and uh, come in and see you for a consultation, what's the best number to reach you at? Nine five four. Yep. Four six two. Four six two five four 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 up in Broward County at nine five four, and if Alex isn't there, can be bribed. So if you send her a big check, she'll get you in early. Yeah, and and Lisa, Lisa's the person who will help you. She's been, she she Lisa really is in charge. That's the bottom line. Uh, she's awesome. She's awesome. Is right. Running. Well, listen, Alex, we got to fly. We're running late. We got to get going. But listen, it's great talking to you. See you over the weekend. Likewise, Richard. Okay. Good day. Right. Bye. And it's uh, Rich Rothman. Time now is about 5.14 in the afternoon. And uh, we are sitting right now with a dear old good friend of mine, Elena Carpenter. And Bruce, you've known Elena for years as well. Yes. Bruce is very big with words today. You've noticed that? (laughs) Today we're going to do the monosyllabic words with Bruce. (laughs) And next week we're going to try polysyllabic words. But it's really happy. Elena, how are you? And it's good to have you here. I, I thank you. I'm just thrilled to be here. I, I do have a question for Bruce, though. Uh, he said a dear old friend of mine, and he's been saying the entire hour how he's an old man. Uh, do you know what he meant when he called me old? I have no idea. I don't. I You mentioned earlier that you were only 26, 27 years old, I, if that old. I don't know how in the world he could. you could be a dear old friend. I didn't mention that because I never lie. I might have implied it. Uh, that's yes. I I I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. But I I think Richard made a mistake. I he just made a mistake. Richard, did you make a mistake? Yes, I make lots of mistakes. <laughs> I make over and over again. I make lots of mistakes, but and I will accept the responsibility on that. Let me ask you a couple of questions, Elena. You've been in the business world. For, for a while. Let's get serious now, because I want to follow up on Jennifer's conversation and the, some of the things we talked about earlier today. And you were in this business. You've been in, you're in the media business for all these years. Yes. Maybe you could give it a little background. Now, first of all, your magazine, terrific magazine, Miami Monthly. Yes. And, uh, and that's how many years old now? It's uh, been around for a while. Just four years old. But it's but that's a long time in magazines. For a magazine, it is a long time. You know, time. for magazines to make it. Now we've owned magazines, and I got to tell you, for those who don't know the stats, remember we played the numbers and we had them yesterday. So here are some numbers for the lotto, and here's a contribution so you can make a lot of money. Ninety-six percent—that's nine-six percent—fail in the first year. Of the remaining four percent of magazines, seventy-five percent of that four percent fail. The remaining four percent fail in the second year, which means they don't make it. And Elena's magazine has been around as the city regional magazine for four years, which means not only to break the odds, it's doing great. 
which is very, very exciting. But, but Elaine, is, Elaine is being very kind about this because she's had terrific products for many years. And a lot of people will know the products that you've had for the years, Elena. Well, prior to Miami Monthly, we published uh, the Coconut Grove Times, the Brickle Post, and the South Miami Times. And that was uh, starting 11 and a half years ago. And, and, and uh, very successful publications, very well known in the markets that they were in. And Elena's doing the, uh, the regional book. And I've got to tell you, considering the, the marketplace that's out there right now, for those who understand it, that a lot of magazines are under dire uh, straits and they're, uh, they're not, a lot of magazines don't make it. And, and we had one magazine fail a few weeks ago. It's not around right now. Uh, the one that I used to own uh, that I sold many years ago. And, and, and now I heard that um, Latin Trade magazine, which is now about 15. I sold it, and Bruce owned it with me about 14 years ago. We sold it, and now they're having some problems or whatever, and they're, they're doing something. They're changing how I they're writing they're, it. I think they're going online now. Yeah, they're going to change it, which I, that really makes me feel better because that was like a baby for us, and yes. that, was, that was a wonderful magazine. So they're not easy. They're really, really hard to run. Elena does a great job. Elena, when did you start? I'm just seriously now. What, when did you start? I started in the uh, winter of 76, 77. That, that, that year. And I started when uh, Mr. Meyer, Sylvan Meyer, bought Miami Magazine, and he brought me on to learn the business. When did you start that decade? Were you in the 70s or 80s? Uh, in publishing in uh, 1980. In 1980. But were you in, in public relations and marketing prior to that? Prior to that. Let's talk a little bit about that, because that's an interesting field. Let's talk about PR and yeah. advertising. Yeah, you, st you started when you were a kid, basically. You started in that. And, and, and as a, from a female point of view, is, was that hard in, in the 80s? Is that a, was that a difficult time? Actually, no, because I, I really started as, uh, as a teacher. And, uh, I didn't know I, that. How, you see, you learn well, something wait a minute. Elena Carpenter, was it, what, what, what did you teach? Where did you teach? I, in upstate New York. So did I. How you see? Yes, I did. Where and did you teach? I started actually in middle school and then in high school. What did you teach, Elena? At Newburgh Free Academy. What subject? Uh, English. That's what I taught. You see? Except I, that, that that was my second language oh and your first. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Everybody realized this is an amazing thing happening, and you can use the numbers 1360 on the lottery ticket this weekend because there must be something special to it. What do you think, Bruce? <laughs> it's not all right, there's Bruce again, just filling up those but, volumeless words. I'm not sure the lottery goes up to 60, does it? Uh, well, you could go six. Zero. Well, I, you can't do zero, but that's for the trainables. But that they try hard. Listen, let me ask you about this. So you taught English, and I taught uh, back in, in when I was um, uh, trying not to go to Vietnam. Uh, I wound up teaching high school English. Um, I was 20. The kids were about 18. Those who became professional students in upstate New York, it was a Title I neighborhood. Uh, they were actually older than me, I think. Uh, some of them are actually bartenders. I'm not sure. But uh, so you taught English. And what, how did you wind up? This is terrific conversation. How did you wind up down here? We need to know this. Ooh, how interesting. I, um, I came down here because I actually wanted to uh, spend the last uh, half of my parents' life with them. And uh, so I, I had gotten divorced. I grabbed my son. And we grabbed came here my son from Newburgh and left and left and it came over here and it's the best thing I ever did I remember that I, I got to the point I remember in uh, 1972 it, uh, I had finished seven years at Syracuse and I was up there teaching at the same time so it was a very difficult I was doing my master's work and 
graduate school and stuff like that, and then eventually I came here. But I just decided that by February of 1972, I was getting in my car and I was moving to Florida because having come here all the time on vacation, I couldn't wait to come down here. My folks were living here, and I thought it would be a wonderful thing to be down here. And So and, we moved uh, here for the same reasons. We, yes, and I didn't see you on, on the highway. I, you know, that's so disappointing. I took the auto train. Oh, Remember that? No, I didn't. I didn't even know about it in those days. I, the auto train's still here. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. No. If yeah, I were Cana- gonna, I Canadians would do that. I would do that. People in New England come yeah, down yeah, for the winter. Yeah, yeah. They would say in Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They would do that. So, all right. So you come down here, and then, but how did you get into the business? How did you make the transition? I made the transition. I was teaching college at Nova Southeast. Well, Nova University in those days, and. Um, uh, Mr. Meyer had seen me speak, lecture, in one of my courses, and then he asked me to, if I'd like to learn the business. So in, uh, it was about 1976. So he convinced me to you know, take a leave of absence from um, uh, Nova and, and come and work, and, I, and they made that transition. How did you make the transition uh, from the um, uh, public teaching in, or private teaching or teaching into the, uh, the business world? Um, it wasn't easy because I made that transition in Florida. And when I first arrived and I was out looking for a job... Um, so you didn't teach down here? No. Okay. My last teaching job was at Mount St. Mary College in Newburgh. Newburgh. Oh. oh the Catholic school. Girl. Oh, yes. Oh, the Catholic school. Okay, that's good. I was at Jordan Elbert Central School. Uh, that's where I was teaching. And, um, Sounds about as exciting as Mount St. Mary. It was thrilling. It was a lot of fun. Uh, they had never seen a Jew before, so i got to tell you, um, it was a very exciting time for me trying to explain that uh, who I am and where I am, and no, I don't have horns. I'm awfully sorry to disappoint you. Uh, so you're going back now to the conversation about Obama no, and no, Clinton. No, 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 don't, don't bring that back, please. No ranting right now. Ranting <laughs> only occurs in the first seven minutes of the show. We're not doing that. Okay, so, but you, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. As a female getting into the business world, has it been easy, harder, or not, not really a problem for you at all? It, there's been a number of challenges. You can't say it was easy in the... Um, Biggest nine, challenge. Uh, Biggest challenge as a female. You're a successful uh, businesswoman. Biggest challenge as a female. Uh, getting paid properly. All right. So the disparity. You know, yeah, Wanda's going yes. She's saying yes. And Bruce is trying to say yes, but he don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, I, may I tell you a story? Yes. I, I wanna, I'm here in Florida. You want to hear pleased. it? Can I say it, Wanda? I'm pleased as pie to be here. And I start looking for a job, and I notice an ad in the Miami Herald, and I go for the interview, and they had stated the salary at the time. I don't remember what it was. It was like $28,000 or something. What year is this? 1980. Okay. Actually, maybe 79. I moved here in 79. I lied to you. And um, I go to the interview, and the, 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 the salary was listed in the ad. The guy loves me. He wants to hire me, and then he offers me $5,000 less. And I said, why, why would you do that? You printed the salary and the ad. And he said, well, um, you're a woman. And no, this he is, said that to you? I, oh, yeah. He I, said, I, I heard that a lot. You in the are a woman, world. and this is the sunshine state, and you pay for the sunshine. And I oh said, what's the difference between a man and a woman? And he said, a lot. And I said, well, I'm a head of the household. I am a single parent. Doesn't that make me kind of like a man? And he said, no. So I turned down the job. Well, no, that, but that was my greeting. Well, yeah, um, that was you know, what I used to hear in the business world. Now, the world that I was in, uh, at, in, in the days of Miami Magazine, I will admit that, that Mr. Meyer was never 
ever, ever uh, that sexist. He just wasn't wasn't that way. It just didn't exist. Because you weren't a woman. No, no, no. You, we, we employ half the place as female. We never were that way. But what I heard at other agencies, including ad agencies, was that, uh, hey, you know what? We reserve our salaries for men, and we have other salaries for women because a man has to support a family. Exactly. And that was the, the rationalization of, uh, of go ahead and, and doing that. Uh, and that was so unfair, and that was so corrupt. Uh, now, it doesn't say that I didn't have a problem trying to get a salary, because I remember when I was teaching, before I left to go work for uh, Mr. Meyer, I was probably maxing out, and I had all these degrees in college, and I was, I mean, if, oh, God, what was I making, 32000 maybe, maybe, and that was working 70 hours a week in the film program and the institutes that he, Dr. Fischl had me on, and all this other stuff, but... I, sh- I wouldn't frown on, on a $32,000 salary, though. I mean, that, that was, was quite was, a hell of a lot of money It was 1976. Uh, that, that was the year. And then when I got into the business world, my first salary was $12,500. Mr. Meyer said that. And his comment to me was, well, you know, if anybody knew his gruffy voice, well, you know, Rich, uh, you know, a baby's got to crawl before it can walk. And that was the reality to me that I I had to uh, work hard and try and build up you know my income, which motivated me. Actually, really did motivate me. So maybe from my perspective, from a male pr- perspective, it was good for me because it, it motivated me. Now, if they offered the twelve five to the women at the same time they offered the men, then there would be parity. If they offered thirty thousand to me and they offered thirty thousand to women at the same time, there would be parity. One of the things I did notice in in the business that I was in. And which was a city magazine business, um, was that uh, a lot of female uh, employees in that business. But they were all paid on, for example, Ronnie Sachs, who was an editor at the time, was paid the exact same money as his counterpart, uh, who later came on, a, a female, to, to run you know, the editorial uh, side. The art director received a very equitable, very fair uh, amount of salary, given the fact that the penury was an important word for Sylvan, that, you know, if you look up the word penury, which means that you're going to be kind of watching your money in a nice way, you, know, you could use the word cheap, but Sylvan was not cheap. Ch- Sylvan was a tremendously warm, wonderful, like a father to me, but uh, he didn't spend the money. We, none of us got big salaries, but everyone got the same opportunity to make a low salary. But what I did hear in the business world, particularly at some of the agencies that were down here, we had a handful of big agencies. The women just didn't get the fair shot as the guys, and the guys got more money because they were, after all, raising a family. And that's so unfair from your perspective because here you were a single parent raising a child, and you did a great job, and your son is with the... Uh, the Miami Police City Department. City of Miami Police City of Miami Department. Police. He's got a great career. You know, he's done really, really well, and you've done a wonderful job as a mom. But you know what? You were probably underpaid for a while as a result of that. Totally, and, but you just fight a little harder, and, and you keep going. But this business, as you were stating before, it's it's not a business where uh, people typically get paid a lot of money until, for example, you become like New York Magazine, and that's 50 years old, and they should be making a lot of money by now. But when you're starting like you did in Miami, um, Miami Magazine and South Florida Magazine, right. you know the startup is, is, There's is no tough. Money. And right now the market is so exciting and so cooperative with the media, as you well announced when we started, how some are dying left and right. It's, uh, it's an interesting time to be in this business. 
Well, actually, you know, the, the, the one thing that, that I know that you know this and, and many other people should know this is that in and this is what Sylvan taught us. I mean, he, we all we all graduated from the Sylvan Myers School of Journalism and he taught us the business and he really did. He had all these crazy young kids and we were all I don't know what I was, you know, under 30 um, in my mid to late 20s. I was teaching college at 25. So it had to be about 28, 29 that I was working with him. Um, he gave us, you know, the opportunity to uh, to build it up and and uh, and learn that in a in a in a soft economy you have to find a hard economy in a soft market you have to find the hard market, and that requires a lot of fortitude and knowledge and understanding and and in analysis of where things are going to be, and then you got to become creative. And that's something that a lot of people aren't. And, and maybe that's why some of these things aren't making it. I, I, I don't know, because I'm not there anymore, and I don't do it, and I don't want to do it. I mean, that, I, 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 I don't think I could go back and do that again on a full-time basis, because I gave 30 years. It's sort of like taking out your kidney after 30 years. It's like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. But um, when we get back, we're going we're gonna to take a, a short break, and then we're going to come back. I want to have this conversation and, and talk to Elaine about how she's made herself so successful all these years and, and, how, and some of her hopes and aspirations for uh, her, her company as she moves through this economy. This is Rich Rothman, Bruce Frazee, and Elena Carpenter right here on The Rich Rothman Show. We're going to be back in just a few minutes on 1360 WKAT, The Cat, 305-447-3201. For those of you who want to talk to us, this is Rich. American woman gonna mess your mind uh, American woman gonna mess your mind Do you own a business outsourcing your accounting? Then call the accounting and tax experts at TNJ Tax Service. For over 30 years, TNJ Tax Service has been preparing taxes for South Florida companies and individuals. As enrolled agents with the Internal Revenue Service, the pros at TNJ Tax Service can represent you or your company professionally to the IRS. Have challenges with your company's bookkeeping? Then call TNJ Tax Services. QuickBooks certified. TNJ Tax Services can provide training on QuickBooks for any small business. If you need monthly or quarterly bookkeeping services to handle all of your payroll and business needs, then you need to call TNJ Tax Service. Located at Taft and Flamingo in the Pillbox Plaza. Call 954-432-1700. 954-432-1700. TNJ Tax Services. Being a writer, I can't imagine what it would be like not to be able to read. This is Dave Barry to talk to you about RFBND Learning Through Listening. RFBND Learning Through Listening serves more than 1,700 schools in 49 counties throughout Florida. From kindergarten through graduate school, RFBND Learning Through Listening provides audio educational materials to anyone with a reading disability. A wonderful tool provided by a wonderful organization and one that needs your support. To learn more, call 1-800-535-0552, assisting tens of thousands of students in the state of Florida. RFBND Learning Through Listening. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL. Customer service is back in shipping. Your news, your entertainment, your business. I wonder where a guy in everyday Joe like myself can find a little action. This is the Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. 
back. You know, I got to tell you, out of all, I have to tell you this. When I was a kid and I was listening, we used to play this song in my band. But I never quite understood why I liked it because I didn't like This guy was putting down the girls in America when I was a kid, and I didn't like that. He's a Canadian. This is a Canadian band. And it was during the, uh, the Vietnam era that this song came out, and it wasn't necessarily anti-Vietnam, little trivia. By the way, my son's now a biographer. For uh, uh, Michael got, um, this is just terrific, Elena would like this. My son Michael Chris yeah. up in Chicago um, has a blog. He's done so well with it that uh, Sony Epic, Epic Records, came to him and got him a job. He's a biographer now. While he's getting his master's and his doctoral work, he's also writing for Epic Records for a new rock band that's going to break in the United States. So when Michael will be here next week, we'll bring him on the show and we can talk about it. What does a, a biographer for Sony Epic he do? Writes, he writes the, uh, the jacket information and uh, biographies, I guess, that will go on uh, the blogs for the... Uh, you know what? We're, that's why he's going to be here. We're going to talk about it. Hey, I have a quick question. Wanda, do we, have, do we have Charlotte on the line? Charlotte, are you there? Yes. Hey, Richard, how are you doing today? Charlotte Gologly, how are you? I'm just great. Wonderful what? to have a Friday again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, this is Friday in Miami, and and that's it. Doesn't get any better than that. Hey, let me um, let, let me let me ask you a couple of questions, Charlotte. Um, you're a product of Miami, and and particularly going back to the uh, to the uh, to the 70s. And, and in fact, I met you probably about 1978. I, I guess you were at the Office of Economic Trade and Development or International. What, what was the first office I met you at? Well, I ran uh, for the city of Miami a Department of Economic Development, and then uh, they decided that international was really the future, so they created a Department of International Trade. So I ran those two plus a few other things for the city manager, but. Um, those were important years because we began to take a look at international business as a way to diversify Miami's economy and really to, you know, we switched on at that time, and today we're the trade logistics city of the Americas. Well, yeah, and so you've, you know, you've grown up literally uh, along with the city of Miami. Was Maurice the mayor then? Was he the guy in charge? Uh, yeah, he sure was. And, you know, Probably Maurice, our best mayor. whether he was in the city of Miami or a county commissioner, he he has been the commissioner that's had the greatest vision for, you know, how Miami, as he would say, could become Hong Kong or, or something along those lines. But basically, Maurice had a vision that uh, we would become the trade and logistics hub. I mean, we are from the standpoint of uh, international flights and uh, the port of Miami. So we're number one in this marketplace. And uh, about 40% of all the cargo that goes in and out of here is moving towards Latin America and and Central America and the Caribbean. So uh, they, those guys were right. We, because of our strategic position, uh, would become the you know the business capital of the Americas. Let me ask you a question because uh, you were involved in the business world in Miami, and would you say that there were few women high up in a position such as you had? Oh, absolutely. And 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 so yeah. it was. It, it it had to be hard for you uh, trying to achieve, don't you think? Well, and you know when I yeah, I think it's been extraordinarily hard uh, working in Miami. Miami is not a big corporate city, or it certainly wasn't back then. And I was an Anglo female in a Latin community at that time, Latin City uh, Council. And uh, I think I, I think women just have to be 
you know, twice as smart as the guys and work harder I, I, at that time. I, I still think that's true, by the way. Women still, still, Richard, I know this is unbelievable. When I started working in the 60s, we were making 72 cents for every dollar a male made. Now, that's the 60s. Today, uh, the recent news was we're making 75 cents to every dollar a male makes. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of progress in terms of equal pay for equal work, and I still think that's one of the burning issues for women in the United States. Well, that's exactly what Elena was saying. She said, you know, the biggest, I said, give me the one problem that you had that you recognized that was the most disparity that you could see. And she said, well, it had to be the income because there was always this dualistic role of parallel tracking. A man has to make X number of dollars because, after all, he's the head of the family. He's the breadwinner. He brings the, you know, the bacon home for the family. But a female, well, that doesn't, that doesn't, they don't need as much money. That's not right. And very often the female would be fired and the male would be kept even though he's more incompetent because the man's the bacon winner, and that seems so unfair. Oh, I think so. I mean, when I was a department head there, I was the only woman department head. Now, there had been one other person before me, and there have been a few after me. But basically, you know, I, I'm, I believe strongly that 50% of any board of directors, 50% of any corporate hierarchy and certainly at the, uh, you know, at the corporate level, needs to be women. I really believe that, especially if your customers are women. Uh, you really need to have a strong uh, board with plenty of women. And I, that still is not happening in Miami. There are very few boards of directors uh, that have 51% or 50% women. And until that happens, I think change is far away. Let me ask you a question. If you think about the, the high-level successful women, who are CEOs in this community, you could probably count them on your fingers, couldn't you? On, on two hands, yeah. Yeah, two hands, not one, because I can think of at least five pretty quickly. But I think when you go beyond that, uh, it's pretty hard. You know, I remember having this conversation with Adrian Arsht a few years ago at one of her uh, lunches, and, and she said, Rich, why don't you try and figure out, give me the 10 most powerful women in this community. And I rattled off a few names, and of course you were on that list, because uh, that's an obvious one. But then when you start getting into number six, seven, or nine, you got to really think about it, because it really still is, you know, very difficult for women to achieve. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's the executive level where that difficulty is. I think women have moved up in the last 30 years significantly into middle management. But the elusive top job is still there. Uh, is, it, we just we haven't been able to get our hands on it. I mean, I, the real question, you know, on a national level would be, how many women are running Fortune 500 companies? And it couldn't be, you know, it's in the teens, I would think. Uh, so, you know, it, if it, it's got to happen at all levels in the country, uh, and it, it's difficult. If you think it's difficult for us uh, here in the United States, and we have a, you know, we have equal employment legislation and programs. Think about how difficult it is for women overseas. Uh, I mean, there's some countries where women seem to do very well, but the overwhelming majority of countries, women are suffering from a variety of things. And, and uh, I'm glad to hear Elena said that equal pay for equal work has got to be the top priority here. Uh, but you've also got to operate. You've got to open opportunity. And I think that Miami, you know, is sitting pretty good in terms of opportunities for women in the next five to ten years. I, I think that women, uh, we've got a lot of women traveling internationally for their companies. A lot of women are taking overseas assignments. And I think when you, uh, and, uh, when you get into that arena of overseas assignments, you really do build your credentials pretty quickly. 
and uh, you're you're on you're on a glide path to getting senior positions, if not the top CEO positions. So I think there have been a lot of positive changes in the last you know, five to ten years, but still women are stuck in the middle uh, management kinds of positions. Let me ask you a question. You uh, you had a program a week ago today. And and the organization, just so I get it straight, what was the name of the organization, Charlotte? Well, globally, since 1975, uh, the United Nations has recognized the importance of women's issues, uh, and they, they founded in 1975 something called International Women's Day. And that was, I, I looked on the website for that uh, right before our program on Friday, last Friday, and there were uh, 52 countries were celebrating International Women's Day, and there were like about 600 different kinds of programs. And they ran from, uh, you know, teaching women needle trades and how to start a, a micro business in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. This happens to be a World Trade Center there. It's a two-story building right downtown, and they're trying to create entrepreneurs and uh, you know for women in that industry. Uh, it, it goes all the way to Iran, to Saudi Arabia and trying to get women's rights recognized, the need to have women's rights. And so it goes from that, those countries which have really baseline issues about freedom and equality for women uh, to, you know, to the more uh, advanced Western uh, you know, economies where the issues are not the, those initial issues but are more how do you get up to run the CEO com- companies, the, the major companies in this country. I, you know, uh, I think uh, it was, you know, it was a fantastic program. We had a couple hundred women come to the conference, and then we had an international awards program, so uh, where we honored six women. And so, if you look back, we have now had this program for five years, and I was counting uh, for you. We have honored 36 women uh, for their for their leadership. I mean, what, there are real, uh, you know, uh, trailblazers in that group. For instance. Uh, Susan's story, listen to this, Richard, she is the president of Gulf Power, which is a huge utility up in the northwest portion of Florida. She was a nuclear engineer, so she came at it from being an engineer and working, you know, she did work on the poles, the telephone poles. So she, uh, she, you know, she's the president and CEO of a major power company in the United States. She also, uh, she understood the importance, I think, of you know, getting involved in community groups. And so she was uh, just stepped down as the, pres- uh, I guess you'd say the chairman of the Florida Chamber of Commerce, and now she's the incoming chair for the Florida Council of 100. These are the, your top businesses in Florida. So it ran from Susan's story to Ana Maria Fernandez-Har, who was a Cuban, a young came to the United States as a young Cuban woman, started her own international advertising company, uh, sold it, you know, Anna, and now is a farmer working uh, to sell rolled logs on the global marketplace. But she did so, really good with that logs. I got an email from sh- from her. She said she did great, and she's planted her potatoes. <laughs> I mean, this is like at a frontier lit. I mean, yeah. she's terrific. Let me. We so have a we, super sophisticated woman, and now she's a farmer. So, you know, that to me was a great story because it says you can go the whole distance now. And so I really do think. Uh, you know, things are getting better for women. They've improved a lot. But when it comes to equal pay for equal work, I, I think that's where the major problem is. I think, uh, you know, and, and I think also recognizing women's skills. And so we had as our speaker a, uh, a young woman, really, who uh, was a managing director for global operations for Burst and uh, Marcella. 
and she uh, she's written a new book. Um, I it's called Go Get Get Ahead by Going Abroad: A Woman's Guide to Fast Track Career Success. So I think she has done a a great service to women because she tells you how to do it, Richard. And it, you know, I think. It always was women didn't have a financial background. You have no overseas experience. You have no this. You have no that. And what she does is she gives you an action plan for how you can do it, why it's beneficial. And, uh, you know, I think we're beginning to end the, the old uh, arguments about you don't have the right experience, you haven't been overseas, you don't speak a foreign language, you don't do this, you don't do that. Wow. And, uh, only, and we, it only took you know, 35 we're years. We're, we're, we're ready. We're ready for the next uh, stage, I think. We have Letty on the line. Letty, are you there? Is Letty there? Hi, Richard. Hi, hi Letty. How are you? Do you have a question for us? Charlotte, stay there. Well, first of all, hi to Charlotte and Elena, and I'm proud to say that I'm one of those 36 women that she speaks of. Of course, based on who she has, I was probably like number 36 or 36. Um, but I just wanted to make a point, and that is that uh, there is equal pay uh, in the military, that in the United States military at every level... Sergeant is a sergeant is a sergeant, and even though you all may have totally different positions and jobs, everyone gets paid exactly the same, and and that is was something very interesting. Um, when we had when I was in Iraq, we had Iraqi women working for us, and they were just shocked that they were getting paid the same as their Iraqi counterparts. So a little plug for my military, as you all know. And one other point I want to make, and that is. I think that there, everyone's right that the equal pay for equal work is a critical issue. But I think women, and you'll all kill me for this, I do think women are in part to blame because we don't know our value. We don't insist on getting the kind of money we should. We know what everyone else is making, but we, we tend not to negotiate. We just accept what the, what the human resources are or, or vice president of operations says, well, here, you want to come work for us, here's your, here's your deal. And yet we have so many skills and qualities, and, and, and studies have shown that we're in so many categories better workers, that it's, women need to stand up for themselves, and oftentimes they just don't. Well, I, uh, Richard, I agree. I, uh, Laddie, I agree with you, yeah. I think that's a major problem, too. I mean, there's not just one problem. But uh, you, you really have to stand up for yourself. You have to be a good negotiator, a good strategist. And, you, you know, you've got to have the winning arguments. And I think, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of women are moving forward. But, I, I, yeah, and we sometimes are our own worst enemy. But I, I, I think it's still a major issue getting the right pay for the right job, you know. I'm glad to hear that the military's doing such a great job. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, for, it's always been that way. I mean, the 30 years I was in, it was always... Same pay, same rank, same with different jobs. So you could have a poor guy who's working out in the sun all day on a tank who's a sergeant, and he can have a woman who's literally sitting behind a computer for the same day, and they both, because of their rank and their time and grade is the same, they get paid exactly the same. Well, and that's good. Now we can just cross over into the private world. And make that happen. You know, listen, when Charlotte just said we're making progress now, finally, well, my God, I mean, I've, I've known Charlotte since the late 70s, and um, we're talking 30-some-odd years to get to this point. And, you know, you know, damn it, it is about right time. We better start thinking t and taking this seriously. You know, the irony of this whole thing is that women are stronger than men. You realize that? 
Oh, we know that. <laughs> Letty, I knew you'd agree with that one. But, I, I and, think... and Charlotte, Charlotte's one of the toughest females I know in my entire life. Toughest persons I know in my entire life. Forget the word female. Toughest human being next to my Aunt Sophie is, is Charlotte Gologly. <laughs> Probably... I, I, I second that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Letty, thanks for calling. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everyone. Okay, take care. Charlotte, stay Bye. there. So, all right. So, this has been a good conversation. Um, uh... How do you pick these women, Charlotte, for the awards that you give out? Well, you know, uh, I think the very best way, they're by personal referrals. I have a network of, after being here for 40 years of, you know, the right leaders in each of the industries. And I, many, many months before these events occur, call them, talk to them. And all during the year, I'm looking to identify women that really stand out and are making a difference. So the uh, one of the things I didn't mention is, one of our criteria is that they have helped to promote Florida, its growth from an international business standpoint. So, um, you know, I'm out and about, and I see a lot of people, and I ask for a lot of people's opinions. So um, we've, uh, I think to have 36 women in Miami, that's really a lot, and I'm very proud of all of them. I think they've really done a magnificent job. Well, this is a great program. Now, this is hosted by the World Trade Center, isn't it? Right, the World Trade Center Miami and uh, uh, we're hoping, Richard, in the years to come to uh, really expand this program to being uh, a lot more. But we do, we do celebrate International Women's Day. And, uh, uh, it, you know, and like I said, in some countries it's related to women's rights, uh, about women in slavery, about women in prostitution, about women uh, and at all levels. And then in some it's more about uh, getting for, you know, moving forward uh, from a strategic standpoint in corporate America, uh, so or in other corp- in other countries, but uh, it's a great thing to know that you're connected to women around the globe because we have so many common links and so many issues that we all, you know, are worried and 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 uh, are, are trying to resolve. But it's it's great because you know uh, there's nothing better than helping a fellow sister uh, make it in society. I think one of the things that's really helped women a lot um, was the uh, uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner, who uh, the banker from Bangladesh, who talked about micro lending, and uh, that's a, one of the ways that women can uh, really move forward. So, I, one of the things we're trying to do, Anna Maria Fernandez Har and I, are trying to set up a micro lending program for women, so that we can begin to, you know, you don't need a lot of money to get women in business, uh, and they can get started and turn it over and. Uh, benefit not only themselves, but they're very often doing this for the family. Uh, the major thing that women say when they receive these loans all over the world is that they're trying to um, educate their children and they're looking to the future. So I, I think the program is very beneficial. Well, that becomes a topic for another uh, another day because we'd like to hear about that. I think that would be very good. And we should really pursue this topic on an ongoing basis and, and give updates and, and analyze what's going on in the community and celebrate uh, the successes that we have, as well as bring to the forefront uh, the failures that we that occur that we need to correct on, because yeah. we have to look at the whole the whole spectrum of yeah. um, of sexism, and uh, which well, gets back I, I to where think, we were. You know, bottom line, Richard, for me is that um, uh, international business, uh, regardless of what people tell you, uh, it, it is not tourism that is the number one industry here in South Florida. It's international business. And we generate more jobs, and, and and the jobs in international business pay about 15% more, 
and the companies make anywhere from 15 to 30 percent more if they're engaged in either sourcing international or exporting or importing. So well, Charlotte, I'm going to have to cut you there. i got to cut you, know? you there because we're running out of time for the show. Okay. We, we have about 30 seconds left. It has been terrific having Charlotte Cologli on the show. Charlotte, of course, is the president of the World Trade Center Miami. You can always reach her at 305-871-7910. She's I always has an open door and speak to her. And Elena Carpenter, thank you for being on the show. Somebody wants to get a hold of you. How do they reach you? Uh, www.miamimonthlymagazine.com. Or you can, and the office number is 305-446-1989. Uh, we've had a terrific time today. I want to thank everybody for being here, and I want to thank all of you for listening on the Rich Rothman Show and uh, listening to us on 1360 WKAT. Uh, this is the weekend, so we're not back for another few days until next week, but we, we have terrific stuff coming up next week, including we're going to be talking to uh, the head of the uh, Miami uh, uh, Film uh, uh, Office. Uh, we're going to have him on the show. I know Wanda's all excited about that. Yes. And we're going to have, um, we're going to finally get Teo in, who's not been feeling well. We're going to get Teo Baboon in here and talk about what's going on in Cuba, an old dear friend of mine. We have some banking people coming in. We have Frank Armstrong, who did a phenomenal job this week, is coming back next week to talk to us about finance. Uh, Bruce, you're going to be studying polysyllabic words over the weekend so we can get you involved in conversation next week. What do yes. you think? Yes. There you have it. And Bruce is just just rife with words today. He's just doing that. I want to let everyone know I appreciate you listening. Drive safely when you go home. If you can, if you're going to have an accident, make it a good one because someone's going to get screwed and wait on the highway. So uh, we're going to have you do that. I love you. Have a great weekend. This is Rich Rothman. See you next week. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you. We'll be back next week, Thursday and Friday, 4 to 6 p.m., for more of the good, the bad, the business. This is The Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. Relax, relax.